Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Rain. You can find all of my content at legendaryupside.com. With me today, Sacrilegious, also of Legendary Upside, and we're going to be talking through a couple of the articles that he's had up on the site uh, as we kick off the new best ball season. Sack, how's it going? It's going well. I uh, think I'm at 60 big boards now, um, <laughs> so right about where I wanted to be, wanted to kind of skew um, to be a little heavier pre-combine. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but it's it's been fun to get back in the streets. Although I, I would have liked a little bit of a longer break. I would have too. Um, but you know, no no rest for the weary here in the best ball streets. Uh, I'm way behind you. I'm I think I'm at 27 big boards. Um, I've been diving into the rookie stuff, um, and you know, trying to get trying to get everything sorted with the articles that I'm going to be having out profiling these rookies in depth. Um, already have have kind of pre-written some of the the quarterback stuff we're, we're going to see how the combine shakes things up for sure but that has put my drafting schedule a little bit behind I, I think i have 27 big boards done um want to catch up a little bit here before uh the combine finishes up at least and yeah i would like to get i'd like to maybe in the pre-free agency period you know at least even if i can't get to where you were in the pre-combine period beef it up a little bit before the pre-free agency period because I think there is some real advantages to drafting before you know the the market has a lot of information you know I think we're going to talk through a couple articles that you had one of them's just way too early best ball draft strategy another one on a specific metric called Sortino ratio um, but before we do that kind of just want to talk a little bit about like you know how these markets tend to work in this this early on. One of the things that I feel like people do and, and why it's advantageous to draft really early is that like people will eventually start double counting information or, or recounting information that like we already like know for sure. You know, um, in the summer when Keaton Mitchell goes on the pup to start, his ADP will drop. <laughs> but he has a late ACL tear. And the Ravens very clearly look like they're going to sign a running back. They, they're not bringing back Gus Edwards, most likely. Um, they had, I believe, there was a deadline just passed on on kind of re-upping him. So he's very likely to be moving on. And when stuff like that occurs, stuff we kind of already know then occurs, prices change. And so it's it's a fun time to be drafting because you can literally just draft based on obvious things and get ahead of the market. Yeah, absolutely. The market is sensitive to information, but it's also silly. Um, and I, I felt like I really learned this lesson with Kendra Miller specifically last year, where I knew that Kendra Miller was injured and dealing with an injury. And, you know, that's why he didn't test at the combine. And that's, you know, we, we knew that he was going to be, you know, maybe a late starter at camp and, and start on the pup. And then when the news came out that he was going to start on the pup, he plummeted in 80. It's like, what are you guys doing? This is already priced in. And so I'm trying to take that lesson forward here for this year. And for guys where there's information where you know that this information we already know is going to be announced later again, like it's some new thing, but then the market's going to react like it's new information. Just try to exploit that when you can. And that's not to say, like, for example, for Keaton Mitchell, it doesn't mean draft exactly zero Keaton Mitchell right now. But what it does mean is if you're wanting, you know, to be about field neutral on Keaton Mitchell, 
maybe get a little bit of Keaton Mitchell right now, but really just kind of kind of hold off on that. You know, you might come in underweight like three, four percent here in the big board because you know that in best ball mania, when he plummets after, you know, the Ravens have drafted a rookie and they signed a free agent and both of them look really good in shorts, then Keaton Mitchell goes down a bunch and you can get him for much cheaper. And then maybe you have 12% Keaton Mitchell in best ball mania. And so that's, that's one of the ways I think it's important to kind of play the market and have an understanding of what you're going to do with your exposures. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the way, one of the areas where it's tough is some of these running backs that are kind of sort of washed, <laughs> maybe not fully washed, but headed that way. And some of them are going to be cut um, or are already free agents. Some of them, though, will land in good spots. And then some of them are going to be the biggest landmines of this early period, I think. So it's a little bit – the leg-up rankings generally are fading this group. Um, but in doing so, are going to miss out on the one or two guys who really crush. So, like, how are – and, you know – put some names to this i'm talking about josh jacobs we're behind market on derrick henry we're behind market on aaron jones we're not because aaron jones has a job and actually aj Dillon is the free agent and we feel good about you know the fact that aaron jones like looks like he's not done he was you know last time i saw him he's, he's still a pretty good and he's on a an offense we want pieces of and actually his competition could be getting even easier it makes no sense to me that Josh Jacobs is going ahead of Aaron Jones, which he is. He's got an AP of 58. Aaron Jones is at 65. Josh Jacobs, I think, is probably a worse player at this point. And where where is he playing? And he's the type of player who, the archetype of players, he's a basically a touch consolidator. He's a snap eater, right? He he gets there by taking the full workload and being pretty good. Aaron Jones gets there by occasionally just going nuclear and he can do that on limited touches because he's explosive and versatile as a receiver. So like that's a less fragile profile as well as changes occur. So that's like one of the ones where like, but it is possible that Josh Jacobs goes to the chargers and they absolutely ride him this season. And he's a, a huge smash um, with, you know, this current ADP just outside the top 60. So um, or just in, inside the top 60 at 58. So, yeah, that's kind of the, I think, one of the conundrums right now in early drafts. is like, I know I'm going to have some pretty big whiffs on certain players, but I, in general, think I can profit by not being overexposed to questionable talents at this point in their career with uncertain situations. Yeah, for me, it's like all those guys you listed, plus, say, like Austin Eckler and Tony Pollard right. and Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara, right? And so, yeah, I got distracted. There's a huge, there's, <laughs> that, that's kind of the expensive version, but there's a big group of these guys just behind them um, that include all, all the names you've just mentioned. And so, in general, what I'm doing is I'm pretty light on that you know, area of running backs. And the ones that I will occasionally click are the ones that we've got a little higher in our rankings. Um, like Josh Jacobs will actually fall a pretty good amount. Um, I think I've got a pretty good ADP value on Jacobs here. 
um, for the teams that I have clicked him on because I'm not I'm not saying that all of these players are guaranteed to miss. It's just that if I took the whole cohort of these guys, it's like the majority are probably picks that I right. wish I had back. That's and what it so, is. Some of them are picks you want. Exactly. But we don't know which ones. And so the way that you want to play it when it's at these prices in that, you know, kind of 60 to 80 range is where a lot of these guys live. Ramondre Stevenson, right? Yeah. All, all around in, in this area. The way that I want to play it is I really only want to take these guys, number one, when I've really satisfied my need at wide receiver. So I'll end up with these guys on my teams when I have, I started four wide receiver. I started five wide receiver. And now I'm looking and it's like, I could take Brian Thomas as my sixth wide receiver, or I could take Josh Jacobs 16 picks past ADP. Like right now, I've only got 7% Josh Jacobs, but I've got him with an average ADP value of just over seven picks. So I'm, I'm getting him around, you know, pick 66, pick 65. Um, and so that's kind of the way that I'm playing this area. Whoop. I, I believe that we've we've lost Pat. I'll I'll keep uh keep vamping here, um, but like currently I have zero percent Derrick Henry. Um, he just hasn't fallen to a point in my rooms where I've wanted to to click him. Oh, you're you're back here. I don't know if you've lost me or uh, if. if uh... Yeah, my computer's allergic to uh, your seven percent Josh Jacobs. Apparently, <laughs> I mean that's a that's a fair stance from your computer. <laughs> But the way that I'm playing this section of, of the board is like oftentimes I find myself taking like a George Kittle or tacking on like a Christian Kirk or something like, well, I already have four wide receivers. I guess I'm going to make it five. Um, and so I've got 18% George Kittle right now. And we're we're ahead uh, of market on Christian Kirk by a good bit. Um, and so I've got 33% Christian Kirk, which is probably a little more than I actually want, but I'm really not wanting many of these running backs. And I don't know if it is to be honest. Like, so Christian Kirk is another, you know, if we're talking about examples of guys where the market's like not where the market, I think will price in something that it should already know. The way the Jaguars are set up is they're, they have to give up. It's a second round pick. If they resign Calvin Ridley, it's a third round pick. If they don't, um, but they also have Zay Jones as a cut candidate. It strikes me as pretty unlikely that they re-sign Calvin Ridley and then don't cut Zay Jones. Right. It's one or the other. They Only yes. one of those guys is going to be a Jaguar is my read on it. Right. And Christian Kirk's ADP will move up regardless of which guy is gone. That's a really good point. I hadn't, And it's so funny because I hadn't even really pegged him as a riser. I, I just liked him for his value. Christian Kirk compared to... Jordan Addison, like, is there a little bit more upside with Jordan Addison there? Yeah, probably. He's a second-year player. You know, he didn't have Kirk Cousins as quarterback the whole time. You're going to miss TJ Hawkinson at the start. But it's like, you know, it's like opening the door. It's like, what could be behind this door? Like, Jordan Addison could even be Christian Kirk, you know? like <laughs> So it's like I'm getting Christian Kirk, you know, 12 picks later or something. Then I get Jordan Addison. It's like, man, that feels feels pretty good. And like, of course, in the ceiling outcomes for Jordan Addison, like, sure, maybe maybe you truly get like the Antonio Brown, Juju Smith Schuster type of, you know, right, wide receiver right. production that you've got, you know, with with Jefferson there. But anyway, I'm I'm just kind of missing that whole running back tier, scooping the values when they come and when the roster construction dictates it for me. 
And that's how I'll get some exposure to those guys. So when inevitably, you know, Alvin Kamara is a smash or something, then I got some, you know, like right now I have 2% Alvin Kamara, but I have over a round of ADP value on Alvin Kamara for the teams that I have him on. So, yeah, I, I like that being open to those guys, taking them as, as big, you know, at discounted prices, which is generally, I mean, what you'll, if you're using the legendary upside rankings, that's like Stevenson will, I've taken Stevenson. Stevenson falls to you, you know. I think you're less likely to see Kamara, who we have um, pretty far down. Uh, but, I mean, Kam- you know, Kamara might be cut, you know. And so, and I think also Kamara's really fallen off as a rusher in recent years. Like, they, if he goes somewhere else, like, he's going to be, I think, pretty clearly like a receiving specialist. Um, I don't know that another team's going to, like, just kind of give him the full workload the way – the Saints did so. Yeah, we're we're baking in risk to varying degrees based on you know how risky we see these guys, but you will see them fall, and I think scooping them at, at good prices is smart. Um, the okay, let's 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 dive into a little bit of your article as we get more into um, the strategy here of these early drafts. So I'm going to share my screen. Um. This article over over at Legendary Upside, way too early best ball strategy. Um, and so, yeah, let's talk. One of the things that you you get into in a big way is the combinations that different roster constructions create. Um, and so these are the total possible number of combinations that your roster can produce. Um, one way to think about it is a one quarterback build should have half the combinations of a two quarterback build right because you're able to yeah all, all else remaining equal yeah. all else remaining equal right because you literally have another quarterback that everyone else can can pair up with for for additional combinations so the the reason that you want to um be doing this you know be thinking through this is you know the, the analogy you have is like if you paid a flat fee to enter a tournament um, and then once you were in the tournament, you could enter one lineup or you could enter a million lineups. It didn't matter. You basically were just paying the flat fee to to have the right to enter lineups. You would enter a million lineups. You would enter as many lineups, two million, three million, as many lineups as you could possibly produce that you within the, you know, the constraints of your time, you would enter that many lineups, even if, the, the last lineups that you were entering were absolute crap. Lineups that included Joan Jennings and Nicole Hardman, you know, guys who definitely aren't going to score any points. You'd put those guys in because sometimes random dudes do score points and they're actually the guys you need. That's why I think, you know, this this combination lens on things is is, uh, is really interesting way to way to think about things and a potential really powerful way to think through tiebreakers. Yeah, for me, it's just kind of accepting that when it comes to predicting the specific outcomes and not just you're not just predicting like what's the final year in stat line for a player, you're predicting the sequence in which these returns happen and how they all work in conjunction with each other. If you're trying to like really get accurate with like which players do I need to be the nuts? It's like we know very little, you know, (laughs) so but what I do know is using math, I can tell you which roster can field the most unique lineups. 
And so it's not to say that every one of your rosters that you build must be a 2-6-9-3 construction. But it is to say that if you're in the last round and you're picking between a wide receiver and a running back, and you could either go 2-6-9-3 or 2-7-8-3, well, 2-7-8-3 gives up just a couple combinations to 2-6-9-3. But if you have no idea which pick is better, the, the running back and the wide receiver are both the same in your eyes. You don't know who's going to break out or who has a higher probability of being a Tank Dell or a Puka Nakua or a Kyron Williams then take the one that gives you more combinations. Because in the event that that does hit for you, all of a sudden those combinations are crazy valuable. So like, for example, if you had Kyron Williams on a team last year uh, versus having Israel Abanaconda on a team last year, like those 2000 some odd Israel Abanaconda teams that you had, like you never really wanted those to be your starting lineup. You didn't want <laughs> Izzy. that combination was not helpful. Yeah, exactly. You can you might as well lop them off. You know they weren't doing anything for you. But when it just so happened that that was a team that you had Kyron Williams on, now you're dominating. It's just like it's just like in a DFS tournament where all of a sudden like your punt play hits. Like all of those punt plays in your portfolio now are bubbling up to the top. The same thing is happening here, but we get to add these lineups for free to our portfolio because every every roster you build think of it basically as a really condensed dfs pool like if you've ever gone in and used an optimizer tool or anything to generate lineups and you said i only want teams with these couple quarterbacks and these few running backs and and these wide receivers and then you click optimize and generate a bunch of lineups that's all that best ball is right like it we're using algorithmic scoring to generate the optimal lineup every single week. Like the, the platform is doing that for us. So we're just feeding it the input. So I'm trying to give it the input that gives me the most darts I can possibly throw. And yeah, those last lineups are going to suck, you know, but that's true for every build. The last lineups on every right. build are going to suck. Because they're all including 18th round picks. Yes, I, I'd just rather have more than less. And I don't think that's that controversial of a stance. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, let's get into you know these two quarterback builds. Which ones give us the most combinations? It looks like two, six, two, two quarterbacks, six running backs, nine wide receivers, and three tight ends give us the most combinations. The, the worst way you could go is super super hyper fragile two three eleven four um second worst is going super robust two eight nine one and and what i would say is like for reference on these i excluded lots of combinations that are just like downright silly right like for example uh today in a draft let me let me read you three different roster constructions that i had in a draft that i did today we had a four, six, nine, one. That one doesn't make the cut for me to tell you how many combos that one generates. Because so that's you didn't draft that. That's someone nope. you saw draft. Someone, okay. someone in my room yeah. drafted it. Uh, I also saw a four, four, seven, five. Oh no! <laughs> By the that, way, that one—that's worse. I think of those five <laughs> tight ends, two of them came in the first four rounds. Ooh. So that wasn't great. Um, and then last but not least, the 3863 with three of those tight ends coming before round seven. So you're going to see all kinds of combos that aren't going to pop up on, on these uh, charts that I've generated. 
but the ones that are on these charts, I would consider like all viable combinations are covered in these charts. So, yeah, and, and there's a lot, there's a whole lot to pick from. Um, and so if I look at my drafts, my portfolio so far, what I've got is 32% of my rosters are 2693 construction. Okay. Um, 27% are three, That's six, the top eight, build three. on the, on the two quarterback. Sorry. Yep. What's, what's then, the next one? Yeah, go ahead and scroll down to the three quarterback builds because those are what I've got next. Uh, three six eight three is the next one that I've got. What percent? At twenty seven percent. So like half your portfolio is, uh, or more is um, I mean I guess closer to two thirds of your portfolio is these two builds. Yep. And then right after that, and and this is much smaller. It's only thirteen percent of my portfolio is three five nine three, and then every other construction is eight percent or less after that. And so you can tell that I'm I really care about yeah, like I I really. pull these charts up every draft that I do um, for ones where I'm like not certain which way I want to go on a construction. And so one thing that I've I've thought about is instead of starting your draft with the objective of, oh, I'm going to go zero RB, or I'm going to go hyper fragile, or I'm going to go bully tight end. Instead, pilot your draft so you're selecting players that you like at the, at the cost that you're taking them, and allocate your capital in a way where you can kind of steer into these higher combination builds. So we don't have to go like, total zero RB where I'm not taking a running back until round 11. And then I'm clicking nine of them to close my draft out. It's like, yeah, you can do that. You know, you're going to end up with a bunch of misses at running back though. And so rather than do it that way, it's like, why don't I just kind of guide myself into constructions where two, six, nine, three is the best build for, I need a little bit more running back firepower here. I'm going to go ahead and grab it. And, And so that's kind of the way that I'm I'm framing it in my head is like, let me try to pilot into these highest combination constructions. And of course, I'm always trying to consider like, you know what, this team doesn't have running back points. Like I, I'm in dire need of running back points. So like I've got some three, seven, seven threes in there. I've got some two, seven, eight threes in there where I'm taking seven running backs just to, cause I really need the firepower, you know? Um, but I, I think it's just being flexible and, and understanding like what you're. And those are so three seven seven three is is pretty. That seems like a fairly reasonable build based on these combinations. It's not like you're going to to kind of the stuff down at the bottom. You're you're pivoting to more of the middle tier. Yeah, and some of some of like the funkier constructions I have are like I've got a two eight or two six eight four in there, but which still grades pretty well. Um, I got a two six ten two a two five ten three. Um, when when you talk about okay, I'm going to try to pilot myself towards this type of build. What what does that mean? Like wh- how does that? Yeah, go? great great question. So like I am starting wide receiver really heavily, and this is this is partially due to the meta currently with how players are priced and how the draft class looks. I think that rookie wide receivers are a really really good click right now. But number one, I know that I need a lot of firepower at wide receiver just to survive a season. You need to be more stacked at wide receiver than you could really imagine. Um, And so I'll hammer wide receiver early to make sure that I've got enough wide receivers 
and that might be starting with four, starting with five. And I'll sprinkle in, you know, if, uh, if a really good value quarterback fell to me or a, a good elite tight end fell to me, I'll go ahead and click that anyway in those first rounds at forego a receiver. Um, but then knowing that I've got all that wide receiver firepower and knowing that in the last four rounds of the draft, it's like a tight, I don't really want to click a tight end in the last four rounds of the draft based on the current draft landscape. I'm not super excited to click multiple running backs in the last four rounds. Like sometimes I'll click one to be like, all right, I've got a solid base of production at running back. And now I'm taking a rookie for the upside that this guy was horrendously mispriced. You know, I get a Will Shipley who a lot of places have as their second best graded running back in the class as far as like how the NFL teams will see him on their big boards. It's like, all right, we got Will Shipley here. I'm taking him in the 20th round. Maybe he returns the value of a 12th rounder or a 13th rounder. It doesn't do anything crazy, but he's like hitting my lineup a couple weeks, putting up a usable score. Um, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to take one of those, but I really don't want to take multiple of these late round running backs. Right. If I don't really want late round running back and I don't really want late round tight end, then I'm really stuck between like, okay, maybe I can click one of these quarterbacks, but the draft rooms are pretty quarterback thirsty right now. So like you might have a plan of like, I'll get Will Levis. No one wants Will Levis. I'll take Will Levis later. Yeah, don't don't only have Will Levis as your, your <laughs> I've been I've been there. It's not not good. When when you get sniped on Will Levis. It's tilting. Yeah, that's that's how you end up. I didn't even want him. He yes. was like a backup plan to even want him. I I do. I'm guilty of having a I've got a Russell Wilson team too, because oh. it all it all fell apart and I needed two QBs in the last couple rounds. And I thought Derek Carr, Will Levis, and I have all the pass catchers for both of them. No one wants those. And they <laughs> they did want those. Um, <laughs> so but but as far as piloting, like, yeah, it's it's considering the capital in each position and knowing like all right, I'm going to hit wide receiver early because that's building my baseline of production at wide receiver. And then I'm going to be able to save all those wide receiver clicks for late. And it's knowing that I really want to get a lot of the running backs and tight ends and quarterbacks kind of in those middle rounds from like round six through 12. I'm really hitting like most of my draft boards. If you look at any of them, if you've been in a room with me or see one that I share, like it's yellow, 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 yellow. And then a mix of like, green and purple and blue and then yellow 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 to finish it out so it's really just kind of like a wide receiver sandwich like i get my wide receivers at the top i get them at the bottom and right now that's the way in this meta to pilot it towards these combinations in my opinion but the what i'd recommend for like teaching you to fish rather than just like i'm going to copy what sack's doing right now is think critically and, and this is one of my favorite pieces of advice that i that sean siegel gives is like draft backwards you know, yeah, think through yeah. your draft from the back to the front and yeah. know what's available for you later. So, you know, like, wow, I could take Brian Thomas right here as my sixth wide receiver. But you know who I like almost as much as Brian Thomas or, you know, maybe not almost as much, but he's a he's an acceptable Brian Thomas substitute later. Like I can take a Keon Coleman or I can take a Ricky Pearsall or something, you know, just something like that later where, yeah, I don't need to use up this slot on a wide receiver because the pick of wide receiver here is really going to hurt me at running back and tight end later. And I'm I'm losing a little bit of the effectiveness that that wide receiver adds for me because I already have such a strong baseline at wide receiver. If I yeah, being, being cognizant of the 2v2s, what those are going to look like is, is hugely important. Um, what I really like about this approach is that we're talking about 
something like that's super in the weeds with the data where you're literally when you're talking about two six nine three is a good build it's a good build because literally math it has nothing to do with the players it's just that when you are trying to solve for what given the the starting lineup requirements what gives me the most versions of starting lineups and that will never change no matter how good the wide receivers are or the running backs are in a given year two six nine three is going to give you a buttload of combinations and then layering in um to kind of tease the next article layering in some stuff about like player production profiles and how they look in their sortino ratios can be really helpful in this too because you're trying to establish this baseline, this weekly floor in your roster, which is very helpful for advanced rate. Your floor is your advanced rate fuel, so to speak. And your ceiling is your, I want all the money in the playoffs key. That's what you need. Right. And so. Well, okay. hang on. Sorry. I was only halfway through that. Okay. Point. Sorry. <laughs> so what you're, what you're, so you've got the math thing of this is my, these are the combos that are produced by these lineups. And then you can either draft really, really, really bad versions of teams that technically fit these combinations, or you can take that and layer on, where do I go get my players so that I'm proper, properly navigating the draft room, but my goal is to end up with one, one of these builds. And so it actually becomes a tool for thinking through the landscape, you're, you're, giving yourself a goal for where you get to in terms of um, not just like zero running back or, you know, here running back or whatever, but a, a entire roster construction. But then how do I, how do I get there is the whole point, the whole point of, because you could get there in the dumbest way possible. <laughs> you could get, you could, you could, you know, start with three tight ends and wait until all the quarterbacks are gone and then take Kenny Pickett and, you know, you know, you could, and that would fit this, that would technically be correct, but it's just that all of your lineups would be garbage, you know? So you, this is just a way, it's a tool for helping you think through the draft landscape. And it's also a way to break ties as you're drafting, I think, but I just want to underline the, the key uh, approach here is, is actually, Going okay. If I want to get there, then I need to analyze the the, the ever changing player pool and figure out how to attack it so that I end up with a build that I that I like. And the way that I do that is like I have an idea from each draft slot how the board falls from the one hole, how the board falls from the five hole, etc. And I have a tool that shows me based on the leg up rankings how efficient is the market on all of these players you know where where do we see big values where do we see really overpriced players we're, we're working on that tool yeah. yeah we we are and so that's what i use to inform myself like okay i'm out of the six hole the best way to start the six hole is taking Brees here based on our rankings and based on the way that the board falls and so when i click Brees here then i've got to hit wide receiver through round six which means i forego some of my favorite tight end targets but that's okay because then i know that i'm going to be clicking the tight ends in the rounds nine through 12 and i'm going to hammer those and so you'll end up kind of with a roadmap, and it's it's sort of like you're drawing your map through the board and you get an understanding of like all right these are the best combos these are the ways that i can feasibly get there 
And it, it not only gives you like the best constructed teams as far as just the raw roster construction numbers, but it's also giving you a team that's exploiting the inefficiencies in the market. And so for me, that's kind of how you put the whole game together um, is do, do the stuff that's like very provable, like demonstrable, like if we had the exact same players and pretend that, you know, we had three dead players, but your three dead players and my three dead players are of different positions. And I end up with the roster construction that generates more combos, but we have the exact same live players. Otherwise, like then, then I'm good. You know, like I, I've got an advantage on you. I can field more starting lineups, you know? Right. And obviously which dead player matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't know that and we can't predict that. And so, you know, you can predict it to an extent where your 18th round picks more likely to be a zero just because they're not good and they don't score points. But injuries are going to riddle these rosters and we don't know which rounds are going to occur. And in that that matters way more. You know, I'll take give me two zeros and all. And uh, while, while Pat works on getting his internet back, later in the article, I do actually talk about these roster constructions that are not only able to yield the highest number of combinations, but the ones that are the most robust to having a bust on them or having injury. Yeah. And that, that way you're able to build your team, not just in mind with, well, what happens when everything goes right, but also what happens when some unexpected stuff occurs along the way and how can we still make sure that this team is not only able to limp through, but it, it can still be a really strong team. So, sorry, my uh, I'm having issues with StreamYard. It's actually not my internet, I don't think. But oh, okay, um, it keeps booting me out. Um, the yeah, the the zeros thing is is pretty interesting because some of these rosters are more uh, able to sustain zeros than others. Um, and so you, you actually in this article took a look at like what if I'm going to lose someone, what do I want my roster to look like? And then what kind of starting rosters um, kind of allow me to to field a good 19 player roster? Like if I'm guaranteed to take one zero, what starting rosters can kind of help me land on good combinations once I once I get to zero, once I take on that zero and. Largely, though, those those rosters, those kind of parent twenty round rosters that produce good nineteen player rosters, are, are pretty similar, right, to the to the ones that just produce the most combinations. Well, with one players. would even say they're identical. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> but that's good to know that you're. Yes. That basically, like, yes, this produced a lot of combinations, but they also, when chaos hits, are able to withstand chaos the easiest. It's it's the most robust roster. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that um, so you talk about, OK, I'm not going to, you know, once I take Brees Hall, I'm not going to take any more running backs because uh, in those first few rounds, because um, the way the landscape's setting up here, you can't get locked out of wide receiver. We saw how important that was in 2023. Zero running back absolutely crushed. Getting locked out of wide receiver really, really hurt you uh, in the early rounds, even with some real values at running back early on. Um, and so I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, but one of the things that I sometimes struggle with is that I think I find a cheat code. Um, sometimes I feel like I do find guys, you know, it's like this guy unlocks different builds, contrarian builds, or, you know, like I don't have to hit wide receivers hard as sack is saying, because I can just draft DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk right now are kind of my 
cheat codes where I can go ahead and take Mark Andrews in the fifth round, which is, I mean, come on, Mark Andrews in the fifth round. Like I'm going to be taking him. That's, you know, I think he's, I think he's a fourth round value very easily. So, but now I've got a running back and a tight end. I'm a little thinner at wide receiver, but I really do view Kirk, as we discussed, I think he's going to move up in price. He's a guy that's going to project well once we get to the summer and projections are in full swing. You're going to hate him when he's gone at pick 47 or whatever, but I'm loving him now. You know, but I can get him a pick 65, like all, by all means. Like that's that's perfect, especially if I really need the wide receiver right there. Um, that sixth round wide receiver becomes very important. And then to be able to get Hopkins in the seventh round, when I have those guys, it's like I think they're back to back in terms of value. We're, we're getting a Titans uh, head coach that's going to be passing a lot more, um, you know, low bar. But they're, this is a, a, you know, coming from the Bengals, we saw them pass a ton. I don't know that we get that kind of passing volume. But this is going to be a lot more volume, I think, in Tennessee. Hopkins also was good last year. Does not look like he's dust, you know, and he's a target dominator. Unfortunately, the competition looks pretty weak with Traylon Burks, who I would love to – be stiffer competition, but does not seem to be living up to his draft pedigree so far. And after him, there's like literally no one else. Um, even at tight end, like Chigakonko is like a part-time kind of interesting yak guy. Um, You're telling me it, I'm not allowed to click Kyle Phillips? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> see, that's what I'm talking about. We're thinking about drafting Kyle Phillips. This is how barren this depth chart is. And we have this one of the all-time target dominators on it. And he's going at pick 75. Truly don't understand it, um, but I've got myself into trouble with stuff like this where not only am I making uh, a bet in a big way on these players and, you know, it can be tough in these early drafts to have a really strong sense of where the market's going to go. The market can stagnate for a long time. And if you just keep hammering these guys, you you might just end up with a huge bet, whereas in the summer you can kind of the market kind of bail you out guys shift guys rise up the board and then you're like all right i'm not taking them anymore and that's how you can even out your exposures here i'm probably gonna end up with a pretty bag, big bag on kirk and hopkins but they're also i think unlocking structures for me that might not be good structures if these players don't hit so you see what i'm saying i'm like kind of leveraging my take in a way that could be extremely negative where if hopkins and Kirk don't hit these builds are dead because I don't have enough wide receiver firepower. They're the whole, my, my bet is these guys give me the wide receiver firepower that other players don't have access to with this type of build. I, it could be very powerful if I'm right, but it also could be extremely negative if I'm wrong. And so, you know, in a sense, it's like, it's like adding leverage on an already overweight stance on a player, which could be bad. Um, but, you know, sometimes I play a little loose with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I what I'd say to that is the nice thing is all of your teams are going to lose, you know, the vast majority of the time. So it's like the fact that the outcome you're worried about is like these might lose. Like, yes, they will. <laughs> like, <laughs> they'll all lose. Yes, um, they will. <laughs> and, and so the what I do, though, because I, like I said, I got to – gang at Christian Kirk and I got a gang of DeAndre Hopkins. I'm 22% Hopkins, 33% Kirk. Like that's, that's quite a bit, you know, for guys going at that point in the draft. Yeah. And you have a decent uh, sample of drafts now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 
what I do for that is I'm looking at a couple player combinatorial ownership. And so I think the best way to do it is more for your earliest picks because the earliest picks will be in your starting lineup the most frequently, you know, just probabilistically, like the, your first round pick is going to hit your starting lineup more than your second round pick, more than your third round pick, et cetera, et cetera, down the ladder. So if you're just looking through, uh, it's imperfect, but like a way that you could actually execute it in like a way that our human brains could handle it when we're drafting is look at the three player combos to start your draft. So who did you take in round one, two, and three? And look at those with respect to, do they have Christian Kirk on them? Do they have DeAndre Hopkins on them, right? And so you need to ask yourself, like for these builds, like say that I've got, I, I keep running into quite a bit of AJ Brown, Garrett Wilson, um, and then some receiver in the third usually, or Jalen Hurts, depending on it, right? So let's just say A.J. Brown, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Hurts are my first three. I want to look at that three-player combo and say what percentage of those teams have Christian Kirk on them? What percentage of those teams have DeAndre Hopkins on them? What percentage of those teams have both Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins on them? And that's how I want to choose to diversify those bets specifically because I love that bet. It's a spot to attack, right, which we – we know that you know these markets aren't efficient. We're trying to exploit them, right? We think we can do some things better than the field. And so we think Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins are a way to attack and exploit the field. But it comes down to, all right, in your whole portfolio for all of your bets, how many of them do you really want to be focused on this Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins? And then splitting that up into each different kind of textured start that you have if that makes sense. And then it to- does, but it also is part of the thing I struggle with where I'm so much more willing to pass on Christian Kirk when I go zero running back because I don't need Christian Kirk in the sixth then. So it's actually difficult. And this, you know, part of the reason I'm bringing this up is because a couple of my keys last year were Rashad Bateman and Traylon Burks. And, you know, then I would use Jacoby Myers if those guys weren't around or if I was really pushing it and that one worked out, you know, a little better. (laughs) But it's like it actually becomes it's one thing to miss on two wide receivers in the seventh round. It's another. I think we got Pat kicked out of StreamYard again. Um, So just to kind of expand a little bit on that, like I'll look at those comments. Oh, here we go. He's back. Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, I was yeah, I was, I, I was finishing that sentence was literally ending up there. But the whole build's dependent on those guys when they, when they miss for your pressure. I think yeah, that's a really good point because you're right. It's like I, well, I can't even access that. You know, I can't even the build that you're talking about with with Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. When I say like I need to diversify, so those guys aren't always clogging up this specific build, like. For example, if you did go Brees in the first round, right? And you're like, now I've got a running back. And maybe Devon Chan fell back. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, I guess I am taking Brees Achan to start. But then you're like, I need, I need Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins here. Yeah. I think one way to handle that, unless, like, number one, you can ask yourself, like, am I good with 100% of my teams being Kirk Hopkins Brisa Chan when I get that specific combo, which is going to be pretty infrequently, right? So it's like you don't even have a large sample to diversify across. So it's just, you know, it's it's your own choice if you want to actually diversify that or you want to be really concentrated in it. I think another thing you could do 
is if you're identifying a spot like this Kirk Hopkins spot that we are, that you think you're going to get really overloaded on, try to find the next best thing for it and see if it's an acceptable substitute for you. Mm -hmm. Like if you're deciding to eat less meat, if you're like, I wonder what these incredible burgers taste like, you're like, nope, they're shit. I can't, can't do it. That's fine. You don't have to draft any incredible burger teams. But if you scroll down further and you're... I didn't think Incredible Burger would be catching strays on this podcast. <laughs> Here we are. I, I actually don't hate them. Uh, <laughs> if you scroll down further and you're for... We're just going to pick guys for... Like, let's just say that you envision a late Jerry Judy breakout and you actually think Dontavion Wicks is going to be the Packers wide receiver two there. Sure, you can, you can treat that kind of like... I think you discussed this last season too with... You're selecting a player and then pretending like you know their outcome and you're drafting around that outcome, right? And so I think that's the best way to diversify off of a spot that you're trying to attack really aggressively that is the skeleton key for some certain constructions. If you want to diversify from it, find that next best thing and see how it tastes. And if you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. But if it works, sprinkle it in just a little bit to have those different textures on your teams. I like that a lot. And and my next best idea I think would be to not rely on any of the wide receivers that I'm drafting in that range in a way like part of the reason that Kirk and Hopkins could be an issue and part of the reason that that Burks and Bateman were an issue for me last year is because when I took those guys I took them and then said I did it I got that wide receiver firepower that I needed when I when you take let's say you you skip Kirk and Hopkins you take a wide receiver that you know you're less excited about I'm not particularly excited about George Pickens because you know he goes he goes right in that range 63 you know I just I'm like they're not going to pass a lot there's quarterback uncertainty even if they get Justin Fields like low volume he's got target competition you know it's just it's hard to really envision him as being like a week in week out guy. Okay, but maybe he has a couple really strong weeks, and maybe I'm actually being more realistic about his range of outcomes than I am about Kirk and Hopkins. Maybe I've kind of lost the thread there, and I'm too optimistic there. And they're kind of basically just George Pickens too, but I'm telling myself a, a more you know optimistic story. And because I don't buy the Pickens story as much, I'm then more likely to to take more wide receivers before they completely dry up. I'm definitely already in a range where it's weaker, but they're still guys with jobs. And if I take Kirk and then I'm like, now I don't need another guy with a job because I got, I got a really good one. Or, you know, if I take Hopkins and do the same thing, if I'm wrong, I'm really hurting myself. If I'm wrong on Pickens, maybe I'm not hurting myself as much because I'm not as confident. So I think that's a, an interesting, because then you're actually, you're, you're diversifying naturally you're going to diversify the build a little bit as well where you know maybe it just turned maybe the answer in all of this is christian watson and you get to christian watson because you took pickens and you didn't feel that confident about pickens and so you took watson and that's how this stuff sometimes goes where it's like you end up on the right answer <laughs> you know kind of just by luck but you you know if you just keep doing the same thing over and over you don't give yourself a chance to be lucky i think i think that's a great point and so the way that I'm going to kind of internalize it and do it for myself. Cause this is something where I'm noticing like, man, I really, 
I am wanting to mix up some of this combinatorial ownership that I've got on these three, four player chunks, maybe changing the degree of confidence that I'm treating a player. Like, like you said, I'm super confident that Christian Kirk's a good value here. Maybe I, I ratchet that confidence down. And in my mind, I clicked Christian Kirk, but I'm treating him like I clicked George Pickens because they go at the same price, right? Like the market's the same level of confidence on them, yep. you know, is what they're saying in their price. And so then you you change the way that you're constructing your team based on that difference in confidence. And I think that's another good way to diversify it. So just trying to find different ways to mix it up so you're not just ending up with really, really similar teams over and over and over. Yeah, and I think there's with player stands, and I'm not averse to a player stand, but I do I have been kind of thinking through this over the years of like, you know, there's different types of player stands that you'll end up on. And the dangerous ones are the ones is the type that we're talking through now. Though that to me is the dangerous player stand because you're bringing along um you're bringing along kind of a specific build type with it. And it's sort of the build is contingent on you being right on this player which obviously can be pretty powerful if you are right on that player because now you're potentially unlocking builds the rest of the field doesn't have access to. That's potentially giving you leverage in the playoffs. You're going to get in a potentially really weird team. You know, if it's a zero running back year and you get a team in that's not zero running back or vice versa, awesome. You know, like that's – you want different looking, different textured teams than the field when you get into, you know, the Week 17 final of these tournaments. At the same time – you know, you want to limit your downside risk when you're wrong, and we're inevitably going to be wrong. The other type of stand is like the Brees Hall stand from last year, or the Jalen Warren stand that I took last year, and I'm about to take a gap. Um, the the Brees Hall stand from last year was that like Brees Hall was just on my teams, right? If I got to the end, I had Brees Hall on it probably. You know, there were some final teams that I had that, that didn't have Brees Hall, obviously, but most of them did. And it's just because I drafted him a bunch and I didn't care what I started with. I was like, you know who fits this build? Brees Hall, baby. <laughs> There's a lot of that. And I felt the same way about Warren. And I just, I felt that way because like, it wasn't about, well, these guys are really, I didn't feel like Brees Hall was, you know, um, a, a late fifth round value who I could get in the early seventh and help me because wide receivers drying up and blah, blah, blah. No, I just felt like Brees Hall was like a, a one of the clearest values that we've had in drafts in years. And I just wanted, I wanted to make sure I'd left 2023 very overweight on this guy. And so it had much less to do about structure. And, and he was kind of dictating the structure to everyone else. So yeah, I had a little bit of, you know, more early round builds than, and I probably passed on second round running back more than I would have or whatever. But generally, it just took a lot of free solid and it was it. It didn't. But I think those stands are actually, they, they seem like a little bit more, you know, like you're kind of just like, hey, they're more like simple brained. But I think they're all actually less dangerous as well. Because if you're just like, no matter what my build is, I'm going to add this guy to it a bunch, then he's going to be on a bunch of diversified types of builds. And so now when you're when you're right on that player, you don't really have to be right on on a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Because he's he's mixed in with different players and different builds. And so when you find a player, I what I would caution on is make sure you're really, really sure that that player is the guy you want to take that kind of stand on. That's the part you really need to be careful about. But if you found that type of guy, 
and you feel very confident he's that type of guy and you're willing to take that risk, you know, that a big part of your portfolio is going to live and die with this player. To, to pick up where, where Pat left off there as he was kicked off by StreamYard, um, in the article, the way too early best ball strategy article, Hilarious. I talked about then <laughs> and hold on. But I don't know. if you're if you build your portfolio around that type of player and you're right on that type of player, um, then you're you're gonna have teams that bubble up to the top that kind of have the right answers for that year simply by having a ton of pairings with that player. Yeah, hundred percent. And I talked about this in the article. I used uh, Devonna Chan and Kendra Miller as two stances that I had as kind of the illustration for why it's safer for you. You're exposing yourself to less downside when you do that with players that have a later ADP, right? And I, you know, for for the record, I think between Pat and I, we were both in the top ten of all people in BVM as far as our Brees Hall exposure. So. We both were willing to take that risk and very, very much like signing up for the high degree of risk that that exposed us to having so much of a player so early in drafts. But the later that you find a player like that, it's going to harm you less in in the overall downside that you're exposing yourself to. Like I mentioned in the article, my Kendra Miller advance rate was 20%. On teams that had Kendra Miller, I got him through 20% of the time. And he didn't do anything. So you're not going to hurt yourself as bad if you can find those stances later. And then the only caveat I have to that is that's not me giving you permission to go and draft 100% of an 18th round player because you do have an opportunity cost there. It's just to, to select the bets that we think check enough boxes for us where it's like this cohort of bets are the ones that I want to make. And it's diversifying among that cohort of like, these are all really good bets that I like as dart throws, but I want to diversify among that. It's not, I'm going to take 4% of every guy past pick 220, and that way I'm guaranteed to have some that hit, right? It's, I like these 15 guys that are going past pick 220, and I'm going to have a little bit of each of them, but I'm going to fade some, like I'm not going to take any of, Michael Thomas or whatever, whoever it is that you are just not clicking any or Greg Dulcich or whoever. Yeah. So I think one way to think about something like that is just check in with yourself on like where you're at with how much you like one player versus another. If you have a slight lean to a player and you're taking a two to one stand on them in drafts, why? You know, and this is something I do all the time. And then I have to be like, why am I doing this? I don't. Just because the guy's at the top of the list for you, you don't take that player every single time over the other player who you also like. That's how you end up with exposures where you're like, I, I don't have any of this guy I like. And that's so frustrating when that's the guy you need. And it very well could be. You liked him. You know, he was, he was a target. He just never took him because he was, you know, slightly less of a target than another player who went right next to him. I think that's one of the worst ways to take a stand in a way that I personally have have sort of accidentally taken stands or just never sort of checked in enough to go, huh, you know, uh, ironically, or kind of, you know, I guess against brand, one of the things that I realized in 2022 was that I was starting to do that on Ronald Jones, where I was taking Ronald Jones over other players I liked. And this was the worst year to take Ronald Jones. <laughs> um, 
in 2022 where he was kind of the Rashad Penny of that year. Didn't do anything. Um, but fortunately, I checked in and I was like, you know, everyone, including me, knows I have a bias for Ronald Jones. So am I is this bias actually hurting me here? Am I am I missing out on other players I like? And I was like, yeah, I'm way too low on these other players, including Rashad White in his rookie year and guys I wanted to be high on in that same range. And I think that's the other part of, of taking stands is, is the opportunity cost that it creates. Checking in with how much opportunity am I OK with the opportunity cost? That it's that this is like last year with Brees, I was looking at Ramondre, who I you know wanted to take some some of Ramondre as well. Travis Etienne, Jameer Gibbs, you know, am I too low on those? Am I fading those guys now because of this? How much damage is this Brees stance doing to other target stances that I would like to have? To some extent, I'm not going to be. You know, I'm not. I'm simply not going to be able to have a huge stand on Etienne because I've got one on Brees. That's okay. But I don't want to end up with like 4% ETN when I like DTN, you know, and this stuff's so variant. It's just not a great way to play it. So I think you got to check, even with the ones where you're like, I'm definitely sure I want to take a big stand on Breeze in the fourth round or whatever. Okay. But that stand, how the size of that stand needs to depend a little bit on the the other target stances you want to take in that same range. Yeah, it come your stand comes at a cost, right? It comes from other guys. And like, if you're looking at, your portfolio exposures by ADP, you can actually see it happen. Like for example, uh, end of the the one two turn. Um, here's my exposures by ADP: Puka Nakua seven percent, Jameer Gibbs seven percent, AJ Brown twenty percent, Garrett Wilson eighteen percent, Kyron Williams seven percent. Where the fuck did the eighteen percent and twenty percent come from? Jonathan Taylor zero percent, right? Yeah. So that's where it comes from. So it's just. It's like, all right, how how are you getting to 20 and 18%? It's because you're just full fading a guy there. Um, and so you can kind of see that in, in pockets of the draft where you're like, okay, I got to a really overweight position and that's the guy that I'm fading. Is that what I want to do? Or the the you know collection of guys that I'm fading where I'm ending up with less of them in order to really boost these stands. And so that's, I think that's a great way to think about it. I, I actually heard you talk about that first a couple of years ago when you mentioned like, man, I like these guys about the same, but I ended up with like 80% yeah. this guy and 20% this guy. And that's not how I wanted it to be at all in my portfolio. It'd be like 55, 45, but I had them at the proportion of 80, 20 confidence. So. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm very much kind of like learn by doing and, you know, it's like, it's it's a very frustrating don't do you know hopefully you, hopefully if you're listening to this you're you're not so learned by doing it you can just take the the lesson of let me tell you that's an extremely frustrating thing when when you end up with an 80 20 stance and then the 20 guy hits and you're like i honestly this was close to a coin flip for me um let's talk through and, and this will hopefully allow you to talk a little bit more since i'm gonna get booted off the the stream soon again probably um talk us through your sortino ratio article uh, we'll close out with that. This uh, is, is an interesting metric that I think is somewhat similar to uh, fantasy points above replacement or, you know, kind of better in best ball points. Those those types of concepts. Michael Dubner, Hayden Winks have done some work on stuff like this in the past. But this metric is sort of designed uh, for best ball, although it certainly could be applied to season long. But it's it's sort of combining a player's floor and ceiling into one metric. So having a high Sortino ratio just means you're good. <laughs> like you're, 
maybe maybe the floor is driving it more than the ceiling for certain players or vice versa. But it doesn't mean a high Sortino ratio does not mean you're boom bust. It means you're boom and you don't bust, which we love. Correct. Yeah. And so to to kind of give you like the very simple explanation of, of how it works, what we're doing is we're looking at the points that a player scored in a given week above the replacement level for the average threshold of that for the season. So for example, for running back, we're looking at the running back 24 because we start two running backs. So what did the average running back 24 score over the course of the season? And how much did this specific player outscore that by in every single week? And we're getting all of those values and then dividing those by the downside deviation, which is basically how much did a player bust by when they busted and how frequently did they bust? Um, and so there are guys who don't ever really boom all that often, but they boom a couple times to get, you know, one or two games that are pretty good in there. Like uh, just off the top of my head, I think David Montgomery fell into this category. Like he didn't have a ton of boom games, but he had a couple that were really good. Right. And then the nice thing about David Montgomery is he just didn't bust either. Like if he did bust, he busted by like one point. So that was a, a thing that kind of clicked for me where I was viewing it as, oh, I want these players where, you know, I'm getting all of this ceiling. I'm getting all this upside from these guys. That's what I want on these best ball rosters. But if you get guys that, number one, you could just get unlucky. A lot of the ceiling game, what if you got more ceiling games than you could even use in one week and you had them die on the vine on your bench, right? Or what if you ended up with the ceiling game just not sequencing up well together to give you enough to like get through the playoff rounds. And so that's where floor actually really becomes important in best ball and something that's under discussed. And so Sortino ratio can kind of help to capture that and say, hey, this guy is not going to hurt you, you know, week over week. And he also has some juice that can really help you in those playoff rounds. And so I really I wanted us to have a metric that we could use to kind of measure every single player in one neat way. And so that's the the motivation behind Sortino ratio. It's really a, a way to value an investment. Um, and, and I'm not saying like, oh, every player with a high Sortino ratio, like we should just rank guys by Sortino ratio. That's certainly not how we want to do it. Um, but we do want to look at players that we think are comparable. We could use Sortino ratio as a way to kind of describe which player fits better on a given roster. You know, if I've got a ton of wide receiver firepower anyway, I might not even care that I have a pretty negative Sortino ratio player that I'm going to select at wide receiver as long as I think that he's got the ability to deliver big spike weeks for me because the floor portion of the calculation is going to lose value the more and more floor that you've already got accounted for on your roster. Um, and so a good example of that is when I'm going like zero running back builds and I'm looking for, I need to start getting guys that are going to be able to provide me some ceiling. I do need ceiling here, but what I really need is to not take zeros at the position. And then I'll get the ceiling through just the raw number of running backs that I'm getting. And you know, the way that that position scores fantasy points, like I'll be able to find ceiling games and at wide receiver, you're going to yeah. put up a lot of points at wide receiver. A absolutely. Like most of my ceiling is going to come from the fact that I'm so stacked at wide receiver and I have a crazy player in flex and, you know, a lot of my opponents just don't. 
Um, but a guy that I find myself clicking even more than our rankings like him, for example, we're a little behind on David Montgomery. We've got him at 76 in our rankings, and he's at 72.7 ADP. So, you know, right about, but a, just a shade behind. But I've got 18% David Montgomery because I really like him as a player with a heat. If you look at the Sortino ratio article, he had a really good Sortino ratio last year. I think the role is likely to be very similar again with Detroit. You know, he, he's in a system where not a lot is going to change there. It's same offensive coordinator. You know, for the vast majority of it, it's going to be, you know, all the same players on offense. Can we project maybe a little bit of a step forward in Jameer Gibbs? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But if I'm getting, you know, 90% of what David Montgomery was last season, I'm still happy to take that as kind of like this guy is going to be able to eat some innings for me at running back. He, he's not going to bust very often. And if he does bust, cool, I lost out on two points. You know, like the average running back score would be two points higher than David Montgomery got me that week. That's fine. It's way better than me taking someone that has a much lower floor that I'm really needing to rely on. And all of a sudden, when none of my running backs hit in a week because I have guys that, you know, just aren't getting work yet. They're rookies or they're injured or they're, they're guys in timeshares where I'm, I'm drafting them as contingent value backs as part of a zero RB strategy. Well, then I take a zero from a, a running back there and all of a sudden I've, I'm only going to get like two or three points in there that's where you really get hurt. So Sortino ratio can kind of help you to mitigate the damage that happens to your roster when a single week doesn't go ideally for you. The flip side of that is that, you know, if you were to have, let's say, Brees Hall and um, Kyron Williams somehow, maybe, maybe that's, yeah, let's just say somehow you end up with Brees Hall and Kyron Williams for the sake of argument. Why are you taking David Montgomery? Yeah, exactly. You, you've already locked up those two running back spots. Um, Montgomery is in a range where you could arguably take another running back around that part of the draft. I'd probably wait like another round, but like it's not crazy. But don't take Montgomery. You know, take someone with a ton of upside. You know, take someone that's actually excited. That, I mean, there I would maybe say like go for like a Tajay Spears or wait another round to take Jalen Warren. Um, that's, but you want to be swinging for the fences, I think a little bit more um, where that inning eating ability that Montgomery gives you becomes less important. The, the less innings you need covered, right? If you've already got your innings covered. So, and that's where, you know, in the article you talk about like Jameer Gibbs had a lower Sartino ratio than uh, Jonathan Taylor, but, Gibbs boom bust nature becomes an advantage at some point. You know, if you build, you can build the type of running back room around Gibbs where I wouldn't pair him with Montgomery because they're literally on the same team, but that archetype of guy can be helpful with Gibbs because you're like, Gibbs going to pop, you know, but he's not, I don't know when, and he's not always going to pop, but I've got guys that can kind of chug along and give me floor. And, you know, I was able to accumulate uh, those points fairly cheaply. Gibbs is my expensive a little bit more mercurial, but he's a hammer when he's on and he's going to come in and win me weeks. And when he's not winning me weeks, I'm still going to be okay. Cause I built the floor around him. And just knowing that that archetype is what you drafted is important. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so going back to earlier, when we talked about kind of tailoring your picks to fit and kind of pilot into these high number of combination roster constructions, 
I'm really considering Sortino ratio there. And so I, I'm going back and looking at, you know, the the sheet that I've got with all the individual player Sortino ratios. I'm looking at kind of their year over year trends there. And really, it's not that I'm saying like, oh, a guy's Sortino ratio from last year is exactly what it's going to be this year. That's not it at all. But it's looking at the history of a player in the same circumstance kind of gives you an idea of their range for their Sortino ratio. And then you have an understanding of like, this is just a negative, this player is a negative Sortino ratio player. Like he's not, never in his career has he been positive. He's been in the same circumstance the whole time. And so I can't really rely on this guy to be an innings eater for me. I'm getting this player for ceiling. And so it's finding that point in the draft where you want to flip the switch from, I need innings covered to, I need guys that can now go out and hit home runs and win those playoff weeks for me. Yeah, and we don't know perfectly which they'll be. It's possible that the guys never ate innings will eat a bunch of innings, but most likely he won't, and he's going to be good for a few spike weeks. And you want to be, you want to know the most likely outcome of you know the archetype when you're drafting these guys. So I, I think it's a really interesting way to think through this stuff and you know think through how players pair with one another. I think quarterback is another spot where it's really interesting. Um, you know, quarterbacks kind of, in some cases, we are just to kind of try to eat, trying to eat innings. But we also do need to find guys who have ceiling for the single week, um, you know, playoffs and, and, you know, the week 17 final. So it's interesting. Josh Allen is kind of the, the Sortino ratio king and that he's he doesn't fail and he, he produces the really high spike weeks. Um, Jordan Love also finished pretty damn high last last year as well um any any thoughts on kind of the the quarterback sortino ratio stuff yeah the the king is josh allen um and i this was what i i'd like tease this in uh in a couple discord chats that i had with people in previous years uh, about like what i was doing what i was looking at as far as when i would go to quarterback versus when i would go three quarterback or teams where I would even consider taking a single quarterback. And so, uh, like, I had Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen as as players where I would go single quarterback um, just because of their historic Sortino. Like, in 2022, Josh Allen was 0.5 and Jalen Hurts was 0.52. And in 2021, Josh Allen was 0.44. Jalen Hurts was 0.109. Uh, this is just their raw ratio, not their percentile number um, i insisted that sack put the in percentile for uh and that was that was correct for visualizing (laughs) um because for example like christian mccaffrey still (laughs) can't remember all these decimals dude christian mccaffrey made my filter for like a requisite number of games played to count for like counting a, a season for sortino ratio in the year where he got hurt but his games that he played were only monster game he had like 30 oh, points wow. 33 20 you know and so his sortino ratio was like 13 because he had zero busts and so <laughs> at first he broke it uh him and saquon each each broke the sortino ratio uh one time because they were undefined they had zero downside deviation so when you divide by zero you get undefined so um they each had uh, a section where they were entirely undefined they broke the ratio because they never busted um, so I did have to go in and make a make a little fix um, for those circumstances when someone does 
break the ratio, I had to come in with a, a little rudimentary fix there to make it so that they had a real Sortino ratio, not infinity for a season. <laughs> um, but converting those into percentile made them uh, more uh, more readable as well, rather than just kind of giving you a chart where everything was clumped together and then Christian McCaffrey was, you know, God himself. <laughs> um, but going back to the quarterback thing, um, you know, you know who, uh, if you remove all the filter, the requirements for like number of games started, you know, who had the highest Sortino ratio at quarterback in 2023? Mm. This guy only started one game. I don't know who. Carson Wentz. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why we, uh, we do. That's why we filter. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, uh, honestly, Dak Prescott is one where like, if you, I mean, shit, here's, here's Dak's raw ratios from 2019 on 0.18, 0.34, 0.07, 0.01. That was a year he got injured. 0.15. Positive is good, right? Yeah. Positive is very good. If you're positive, not a lot of people are positive. Like I'm looking at these, um, the number of positive quarterbacks are like CJ Stroud is the last positive quarterback for last season. So it's like okay. Purdy, Cousins, Love, Flacco, Lamar, Dak, Hurts, Allen. Those are the positive ones that actually played enough games. Um, the other guys would be like Carson Wentz, you know. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, positive, very good. Um, so, yeah, like it, taking any of those guys, especially the ones that have a history of being positive and have very similar situations, not a, not a lot of change um, that we could – you know, see shaking things up for their production profile. Um, those are ones where I'm really likely to only maybe click two quarterbacks, right? Or, or for the guys like now in in the big board where we have 20 picks instead of 18, um, I'm not doing any solo quarterback builds there. Um, I just with how little information we have now and how much time there is until the season, I just want a little bit more robustness for my roster. So I'm going to two quarterback, but for uh, you know, for BBM, I will have some solo quarterback builds for sure, and they're very likely going to be Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts teams, because those guys have a track record of just having such low downside deviation. It's like mm-hmm. you're you're wasting so much opportunity by taking a second quarterback on those teams. It's like that guy's never going to hit your starting roster, and when he does, how many points did he add? Two, one three you know like he just doesn't add anything the vast majority of the time and sure by the end of the season maybe he adds 20 20 points we'll cover a bye week right so yeah but but then it's like and what did you spend for that quarterback a 10th round pick or a 12th round pick or something like yeah give me jonathan brooks instead like what what if jonathan brooks hits how many points is he going to add to your roster compared to a quarterback that is just playing backup for josh allen or jalen hurts on your team so yeah, I mean, this was a big um, – I, I had looked at, you know, what quarterbacks add to rosters last year when I did a lot of the modeling stuff that I did for the BBM data sets from one through three, and that was a big reason why – I'm, I'm sure if you followed my, my stuff from last season, you saw me as like, hey, I'm not really taking three quarterbacks, or if I am, I'm going to punt quarterback all the way because quarterback just doesn't do a lot unless it's these guys – with these crazy low downside deviations. And then what it does then, like a lot of people aren't even taking advantage of, what it does is it gives you a free roster slot. It's like, here's plus one roster slot. You don't need a second quarterback. Um, And there's discussion around like, well, 
what if when you get to the playoffs and that guy's chalk because he had to smash for you to advance? It's like quarterback is the position actually where that matters the least, in my opinion, because quarterback doesn't separate as much. Like a ceiling game from a quarterback might not separate from the rest of the quarterbacks at the position as much. And you see, like the craziest thing to me is you see this in DFS too. Like people discuss it. It's why people are playing like low and mid-priced quarterbacks because it's like, man, I mean, even if I play these high-priced quarterbacks, like I really need a big game to separate from the field. And that's that's the biggest thing. Like you can get a game at wide receiver. Like you get the Amari Cooper game. Or you get a, you know, the Jamar Chase game, the year that he won Best Ball Mania where they put up 50 points in a week. That's some separation. You're not really going to get quarterbacks separating that frequently at that large a margin. Um, and so I think – understanding what these elite quarterbacks give you is pretty important. And Sortino ratio is pretty enlightening for that. Yeah. I mean, if you, if chase scores 50, the winning lineup will have chase. Yeah. Right. If certainly if Josh Allen scores 50, the winning lineup will have Josh Allen, but the, the highest quarterback score is less likely to be necessary. For example, who is, who is the optimal quarterback for BBM week 17 this season? Was it Lamar? It was Lamar. He wasn't on the winning roster. He was not. Yeah. So there you go. Right. You Jordan Love came along and did enough, but he brought along Jaden Reed more importantly. You know, it, he brought exactly. along guys. You know, so that's the now I do I have some interest in in three quarterback builds partly because of that. I'm giving it's giving me access to additional stacks, you know, and I'm so maybe that quarterback kind of helps get me on to, you know, a, a correlated block of players who, you know, a couple of them hit my lineup together. And that's, I think, really, really, really helpful. Um, but I am at the the one quarterback build is, is something I hadn't really done. And this definitely makes me a bit more interested, but very selectively. I think Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, I I wouldn't want to do it with Lamar looking at this, this chart. Lamar, certainly in, in his initial MVP season, would have gotten you there. Um or is that? Yeah, sorry. It's, yeah, 2019. He's red. Yeah, um, he's point I, eight eight. He was a monster. I, I don't know if any other quarterback has anything like that. I think that might be the highest one I've got for quarterback. Yeah. So if he returned to that, Lamar, but I, I don't think he will. You know, it's a different offense. He's not going to be running quite as much. So he's. It's really two guys. It's Hertz and Allen. And I, you know, Hertz's ability to rush at the goal line, Allen's ability around the goal line. Um, and then just, you know, the volume that, that Allen has on top of that, like it makes sense. Like every single game these guys have is, is pretty good. Mahomes is, is not a guy that I would consider, you know, as good as he is, he's not to their level. Last year, he dropped way off even in 2022 though, 2021, he's never, well, back in his amazing 2018 season. He was up here. But since then, he hasn't really been to the level where you'd want to build one quarterback. So do you how strongly do you feel, I guess, that it is just Allen and Hurts that you'd want to do that if you and this is more best ball mania, as you said. Yeah. And so for Mahomes in 2018, he had a 0.47. And in 2022, he had a 0.44. So pretty good. The problem was, and I believe, let me let me just confirm this. Yeah, the problem was in 2022. You had the crazy Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen seasons where it was like, mm. sure, Mahomes could have worked in these solo quarterback builds, 
but you had these other two guys that did it even better. Um, and so that it kind of like put a little bit of a damper on the season where Mahomes could have done it. So for me, especially now with what we've seen for this Chiefs offense, unless there's some really, really major changes, like they've got a big free agent acquisition wide receiver, which I don't know that they could afford, or you know, they end up with some rookies that we're really excited about where we think it truly could alter the trajectory of the offense then I might consider solo Mahomes builds. But if you're doing that, I would say it's mandatory that your solo Mahomes build have that piece of the stack that you're saying is the reason I'm going solo Mahomes is because Mahomes is going to absolutely feed Troy Franklin. Troy Franklin is going to go nuke. He's the new Tyree kill on the chiefs. And so I'm doing solo Mahomes only with Troy Frank or whoever it is that is the catalyst. Brian Thomas or they sign Mike Evans or whatever it it is. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's the way that I would play it if I have any solo Mahomes. Um, But for me, I'll very likely limit it to rushing quarterbacks just because that rushing floor is so powerful um, and contributing to the Sortino ratio. And so Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts are probably the two primary ones I'm considering um, and yeah, I mean, even Lamar last year had a 0.14, but it's like, to me, that's not enough. And you can even see it if you just go look at the game log for Lamar. There were some games where he busted for you and, and you wouldn't have been quite as happy just having that solo quarterback. So I'm going to do it relatively sparingly and be pretty selective with the guys that I do it on. And then I wanted to go back to that three quarterback uh, point. It's not to say that I'm not clicking three quarterbacks a lot, like, I've got, let's see, 40%, 48%, 51%. Yeah, 51% of my teams are three quarterback teams. It's okay. just the way that I'm building three quarterback teams are so much sicker than the way the field <laughs> builds three. The way the field builds three quarterback teams is just like not good. But the way that I build three quarterback teams. Wait, wait, how, how does the field build three quarterback teams that's not good? They're taking early, early quarterbacks. Like they're they're taking a Josh Allen and then adding two more to him, or they're taking wow. a Jalen Hurts and adding two more to him, or even like uh, like Lamar. Yeah, you want someone to help with the floor aspect for Lamar, but for example, there are guys who have like very you know, close to break even Sortino ratios or very slightly negative Sortino ratios. Like for example. Um, you could look at, say, like Jared Goff. Jared Goff was negative 0.04. So not hugely negative. You know, he wasn't all the way down at like the Derek Carr negative 0.16. Like, yeesh. Like, you, you don't want to rely on Derek Carr to be your second quarterback that's going to like make up the floor for your guy who's not a not a downside deviation uh, king like Josh Allen and, and uh, Jalen Hurts. But like, if you did Jared Goff, and, uh, and Lamar, like that's probably plenty, but I, I see people tack on a third mm-hmm. way too often. And, and the other thing is like, or you get a guy like Kirk Cousins who like, Kirk Cousins was a positive Sortino ratio quarterback last year. Like you probably could get away with Kirk plus, Kirk plus Purdy, you're probably good, honestly. Like it's just the diminishing returns of that third quarterback becomes so great when you spend too much capital on it. And so the way that I really like to treat my third quarterback is, you know how we talk about like those late round picks are like, those are your, your lottery tickets. That's like your, if you hit, that's the thing that really propels you. But a lot of the times you bust, 
what if you have a roster that's just sick? You've built a roster. You got some crazy falling value. It was your favorite zero RB team. You've got all these insane wide receivers. You feel stacked at all your skill positions. And so you've got a bit of a diminishing return of a dart throw hitting there. So say, say you did find the next, let's just get really extreme here. Say you find the next Kyron Williams, but your running backs were Brees Hall, Christian McCaffrey. Just in, we're in magic fantasy land, right? You have Brees Hall, Christian McCaffrey, and then Jameer Gibbs is your third, and he feels your flex all the time. And you found Kyron. Does Kyron even add a ton for you? Like, it's cool, like, and yes, you're going to get an increase in expected value in the playoffs then because you have a, another guy that has a high probability of hitting your lineup if either any of those three bust. But it's you've got this diminishing return. And so when you have this stacked roster, the number one, the way you probably got so stacked is you just passed on quarterbacks that were expensive. You kept taking the falling value skill position players. And so then you're in these late rounds. You've only got two guys. You're looking at, say, like, you've got a Kirk Cousins and you've got a Geno Smith. Like, you definitely need a third quarterback at this point, right? And so then you throw on a Will Levis or you throw on, you know, uh, a Derek Carr, who's just, like, so gross. You're not excited about Derek Carr. But the fact is that between those three, I know that I've got starting jobs locked up. Like I know yeah, that they're they're eating, they're eating innings for me at quarterback. And what it's doing is it's taking a pick that would normally be a miss, like 80, 90% of the time you're going to miss on your 18th round pick. Right. And it's taking one leg off the parlay that I have to hit for this roster to be a monster. Cause I'm like, this roster is already a monster at skill positions. I'm set. I literally just need functional quarterbacks. And so rather than foregoing like you can compound your advantage at wide receiver and running back earlier. Like you've got a bunch of sick wide receivers, but then you end up with 20 picks past ADP, like Jacoby Myers. Sure. Fuck it. Throw Jacoby Myers in there. Like it's fine. Just increase that advantage that you have and then know that, well, I was going to take a quarterback with that Jacoby Myers pick, but it was so much value. That's fine. Just take a late quarterback that he's not going to do a ton for you, but he's just eating innings. And so that's kind of the way you compound that advantage and take it. So you have to hit one less leg on the parlay for this roster to smash, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's also fine to do that. You don't need that pick to be the last round. Cause I, yeah. I tend to think that you don't want to be buying innings in or that, that are going to get benched, you know, and I, I wasn't an on Sam Howell who, ate a lot of innings. You know, he did get benched, but he ate enough innings where you'd still be happy you had him last year, even though he got benched at the very end. But it's like it's not like he was your only quarterback. You have someone else to help fill in at that point. Um, but you know, I I avoided some of the other guys who you, you didn't really want to have at all. Um but you know searching for innings eaters, I landed on Kenny Pickett, which stunk. I landed on some car which stunk. But you do land on Brock Purdy that way, Jordan Love that way. So, you know, I think going for the guys who have job security and a little bit of upside, you know, is is the way to go. Will Levis does come to mind, uh, although he's pretty gross and is probably going to bust. Um, we don't know that. And he's got a big arm. He's, he's somewhat mobile. You know, he will be the starting quarterback for the Titans this year. Um, he has to be really, really bad to get benched. So, you know, can I, that's going to hit one. you with a couple more of my, uh, you know, these are what I take when I need a yeah, third 
that kind of guys. All right, so I'm gonna let's go ahead and filter um, by go by ADP and then quarterback only. All right, so down here, um, I guess we'll, we'll kind of use uh, we'll go beyond the Drake May line because at that point, like I, I'm hammering Drake May still, and and sometimes even being comfortable. Drake May is the type of profile where he might be an innings eater, but also. Will yeah, like he has what? a very just an archetype of player. As I'm thinking through why I like him so much, he really does feel like he could be a high Sortino ratio guy out of the gate. Like, look at Justin Herbert's rookie year. Like, yeah. that's where we could see him being someone who's like filling your starting lineup a lot. Yeah, or or even CJ Stroud. Like CJ Stroud be incredible outcome for him. But so behind him, um, guys that I've got, I'm going to go with over 10 percent on. Um, actually, there's there's one that I want to fit in there. Geno Smith. What do you, what do you think about Geno Smith? There, 170.7 ADP. Probably got a starting job pretty locked up. Yeah, my concern with Geno is the starting job. Um, I'm certainly open to him, but I don't love the sort of lack of commitment from the new coaching staff. They seem to be like exploring their option. I think they'll eventually just settle on Geno being the guy this year, and at that point he'll be a really strong value if he stays where he is. But I do actually think they're sort of sneaky with a really good quarterback class and several guys who are like kind of interesting um, as like second round, third or even third round picks. I'm just like a little, little nervous about Geno's late season uh, starting job security, but that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I think he probably will be okay. Okay. Uh, moving on to guys, all three of these guys, I have 13% of, oh, and, and you'll have to wait for Pat to return for me to reveal who I have 13% of, um, another guy that I was doing this with previously, but he shot up at, oh, okay. Pat's back. We're back to the guys I have. So these are three guys I have 13% of, um, that kind of meet this classification for me. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I think is probably pretty good. I think there's a, there's like a chance that Daniels falls and they do that, but probably not. So yeah, I think Daniel Jones is, is pretty good. I've I've myself have gone to Jones at times. Derek Carr. He's he's very classic innings eater. Like he's gonna start all <laughs> it's year. So gross, but yeah. It's he's so, so gross, but he will start all year. Yeah. Uh Will Levis, we we talked about already. And then this one I don't have above ten percent yet, but I'm gonna get there because I've I'm coming around on this, and it's Bryce Young. No, I think Bryce Young is kind of exactly what we're talking about. Like he's going to start. He there is some unknown. He was literally the first overall pick. We all liked him. You know, like I, did, I went back and was kind of looking like, okay, who was banging the the table that Stroud over Young? And was kind, I mean, you know, I would love to see the receipt. I actually want to see some of those takes. That would be fun in retrospect. But most people were like, I, I slightly prefer Love. As as kind of the more Stroudy, <laughs> the more Stroudy takes. Uh, I'm sure some people had Stroud over him, but it was like not um, outside of you know what. I'll give Denny Carter some credit. He he was just like, sorry guys, Stroud's too small, or not Stroud. Uh, Young is too small. Young's too small. He's not going to work. He's too small. He's just he's just a tiny man. It's not going to work. So I think I think Denny put his foot down on it. But for the most part, we were pretty in um, as a you know collectively on the idea that Young would be pretty fun yeah i my my take last season was that i wasn't going to draft any of the rookie quarterbacks other than anthony richardson so i had zero bryce young zero cj stroud 
And it, it ended up hurting because even though I avoided the Stroud bomb, I my Anthony Richardson bags died to injury, and then I had no CJ Stroud. So, um, yeah. But but yeah, I do my my logic with the Bryce Young is like everything that you've said, and then also just to go a little down narrative street, we've seen what Canales has done two years in a row. Like he took Gino, who was left for dead, and Gino became very fantasy relevant. He took Baker, who was left for dead and Baker became very fantasy relevant. Now, the only missing piece to this witch's brew of Dave Canales quarterback magic is that Bryce Young doesn't have anyone to throw the ball to. Um, so I'm doing Bryce You're Young actually. Bring people in now. Exactly. Like, I'm doing Bryce Young as like my, oh shit, there's not, I can't even stack with anyone. I wanted to take Will Levis, but someone sniped me on trail on Burks and Chig, or I wanted to take, you know, Derek Carr, but uh, Jawan J- Johnson got sniped here. Um, and so then I'll just take, because I'm going to have four rookie wide receivers, usually three, four, five rookie wide receivers on every team. So it's like, one of you guys is Bryce Young's <laughs> number one wide receiver by week 17. I'm sure of it. And so I, I like kind of mixing him in that way. Yeah, I also think if you're taking like Marquise Brown or, you know, some of these other free agents, he's he's somewhat interesting because the Panthers are going to be paying for somebody. You yeah. know, they're, they're like they need this to work better than it worked last year you know Tepper's gonna open up the checkbook and and bring in some kind of free agent wide receiver probably several and then they're gonna draft someone like they, this cannot look like last year so that I mean I think Young's a pretty good pick he's probably pick it again but yeah. um you know it certainly could work the other way to play it is the rookies may the cheapest of them is you know, you, you, you said it after May for a reason because we're, we're taking a lot of May. But I think this is one reason to take a lot of May is that, you know, he could be someone who eats a lot of innings because he's going to start right out of the gate. And he also brings a lot of upside. And at that price, I mean, you it's hard to find, you know, I would much rather just take Drake May a little ahead of ADP than have to think about drafting Bryce Young a bunch. So, you know, um, I also think Jaden Daniels and Caleb Williams are are interesting at ADP for a similar reason. They're going to start, especially Williams, right? Um, And and most likely Daniels will start right out of the gate too. But uh, we're going to get full seasons out of a lot of these rookies, uh, at least two of the rookies, I would say, probably three. And then they bring Spike Week upside to the table too. So we don't yet know kind of what their downside deviation is when they're starting, but the worst downside deviation is zero because you're not out there. <laughs> and so, you know, as long as you're taking care of that, that that's at least a start uh, with, with some of these three quarterback builds. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm, I'm that Drake, but you can kind of see the line in my portfolio where it's like, got a bunch of guys from, from Kyler to may, I got a, you know, I'm, not underweight really any i'm underweight caleb because he keeps getting sniped for me and i'm a little underweight aaron Rodgers. but everyone else is either field neutral or above kind of in that that's my qb window this year is kind of kyler on um unto may and then i guess this is a guy where i need i don't know i I don't even really want to click this guy but what do you think about deshaun watson because like occasionally i end up with amari cooper or a david and joku and i'm like so not confident in that passing game if he's the quarterback but it's like if i'm taking those guys should i sack them with deshaun watson like he's he's usually free there i would yeah i'm it doesn't it never feels good but um 
and we're slightly behind ADP on him. I don't think he's like a great value, but he's he's not a bad value. Um, and look, man, he's you know I don't know maybe he quits on the season again, but um, they're not going to bench him. They can't. The contracts. I mean, if they benched Deshaun Watson, uh, everyone's getting fired. Yeah. And maybe that next week. Like it's 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 a death sentence to the coaches who who make the decision. They can't do it. So yeah, I think Watson's fine. Um, in fact, you know, if you've got him stacked, he's probably a pretty good pick. Yeah, I think that's the only way that I'm really taking him is stacked with Cooper and or Njoku. And that's that's how I'll do it. Um, I, I've sprinkled a tiny bit of JJ McCarthy in here too. I think I got like two percent. He's someone I would be pretty wary of uh, right now. I need to see the landing spot. I think he could get redshirted. He yeah, he's, he could end up behind someone and yeah. I mean, he's like two hundred pounds. Um, but I mean, he's literally like two hundred pounds and. Uh, you know he's he's was not he was not used a lot like he didn't throw for many yards you know like he was he was managed it's a three-year quarterback with a big arm uh and scouts are pretty excited about his upside but he does strike me as as a guy who like just doesn't play many games is i mean that's that's the downside case that he doesn't play a ton of games as a rookie um the vikings draft him but they also bring back her cousins something like that I mean, you know, that's maybe it's not Kirk or whatever. You know, it's a slightly different situation. Maybe he plays half the season, but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think we want to be spending in the same way we don't want to spend spend picks on quarterbacks who get benched. I don't think we really want to spend picks on quarterbacks who don't play to start either, as much as we can avoid it. Yeah, that makes sense because it's it's not like with the skill position guys where when they don't play to start they can break out later and just be these monsters down the stretch like number one at quarterback we, we already talked about this like you're probably not going to separate any even if you do break out a quarterback like sure it's a win but like it, it also depends on what you already have in your quarterback room like you need your quarterback the more bare bones your quarterback room is the better that breakout actually helps your roster otherwise if you have good quarterbacks and then you get that late breakout with like a J.J. McCarthy starts from week eight on, and he's just okay. Like, it doesn't even do anything for you. So you need him. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, uh, in a – like, Derek Carr would probably be, like, an upside outcome right. as, a rookie, as a rookie. Right, you know? yeah. So half a season from Derek Carr, like, what, what's that worth? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good way to frame it. Yeah. I mean, and look, there's scenarios where he gets, start, he gets drafted as the clear week one starter – and in that case, I will draft him, but I want to know that because he has the type of profile where he's he's somewhat mobile, but he's not going to bring a ton of rushing upside. Uh, let's 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 wrap up. I, I, this stream uh, be driving me nuts. Sorry for jumping on and off the pod like eight times. Uh, it even happened a couple times while Sack was talking. If you're just listening, it happened more than you think. Um, I think there's a, an issue with the way I'm I'm recording this uh, that I'll need to fix for the next time. So. Thanks for bearing with us on this episode, but a ton of great information. Really appreciate you jumping on with me, Zach. Uh, You're working on another article that'll be uh, out nearish on the site, right? What, what, uh, can you tease that a little bit? Are you to the point where you can tease that article? Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's along the lines of what I talked about of piloting your builds um, towards those roster constructions and then trying to take advantage of the inefficiencies in the marketplace. So I do believe that we'll have a tool that might go with this article um, where it should be helpful for uh, informing you before you jump in your draft uh, of kind of think of it as uh, if you've ever messed around with a poker solver and you kind of know like how, how different lines work on different hands, you you know, you, you understand the different lines you can take in certain spots. This is going to be similar to that, where it's going to help you understand the different lines you can take from different draft slots is, is what I'll say. What if we haven't messed around with poker solvers? <laughs> um, it's, it's more like laying out a roadmap for you in advance from different draft positions, but not just one route. It's not like, here's the route you can take and any other route you're going to crash and burn on. It's here's yeah. all the, here's a bunch of different viable routes where not only can you get to good roster construction numbers with it, but you can attack inefficient points in the market while doing so. And so you can end up with these teams that are good from a roster construction standpoint that also take advantage of players that you're wanting to target. Love it. Um, I am working on my rookie stuff, as I mentioned. We're going to have a, a post-combine dynasty update uh, next week. And, um, yeah, best ball rankings updated every day. Check them out. Enjoy your drafts. We'll see you next time.